So this is our last um, concentration class. And um, I thought I would talk a little bit first, and then uh, we do a sitting, and I'll talk some more, and then we can have a period of questions about all this, if you'd like. Um, So earlier in um, this class, did I uh, talk about use the the beeswax analogy that I use sometimes? Some of you might have heard it elsewhere, but did I talk about it here in the class? Okay. Yeah, the beeswax. Yeah, you've heard it somewhere else, right? For me, in the class here. Yeah, yeah, but in this class here, in the the concentration class. Mm -hmm. I did it. I did it recently. I did it recently on Sunday or Monday, but I don't know if I did it on. No? In the concentration class? I think so. Well, I gave a whole talk about that on maybe on Sunday or Monday. So, but was it here? I might have given it here also. So I probably, anyway, I repeat myself a lot, so, you know, it's, it's a problem. Remembering where I say what. So, so anyway, you, those of you who heard it will forgive me, and those of you who haven't heard it will be enlightened. Um, the, um, so, you know, my son in his kindergarten, when he was in kindergarten, they had, he had um, this beeswax that they would play with. And when they got to school, the beeswax would be hard and cold. And the first thing they'd be taught to do is to hold the beeswax in their hand. And they'd rub it in their hand, just hold it in their hand. And their, their own body heat would slowly uh, soften the beeswax, and once it got soft enough, then you could uh, you could work it and, um, and shape it and make it into something. And if you try to make the take the beeswax and uh, and shape it into something when it's still hard, you know you basically would probably break into pieces. It would just you know you'd hammer it and it'd shatter or something. And um, so the same same idea applies to the mind. If the mind is hard and cold, you want to be very careful that you don't uh, use a hammer to it or you don't want to push too hard um, because it'll just break. Um, but you want to first help the heart, uh, heart, the mind, become soft or relaxed or at ease. And I've known people who have engaged in meditation practice, uh, both mindfulness practice and concentration practice, and uh, because of their own personality or their own neurosis, or because of the way that uh, the particular tradition or the particular teacher they practiced with taught, um, they just, uh, you know, they sat down and right away uh, they were expected to kind of just bear down or really apply themselves in some hard way or direct way and really kind of be very, very vigilant. And I've seen many people whose minds were hard, um, that approach being unproductive at the best. And sometimes I've seen people's minds break, shatter. Uh, in extreme situations, people have gone on long retreats and weren't really ready for uh, the kind of approach that was taught at the retreat. And they just pushed and pushed and pushed. And, um, and it just wasn't productive because the, the, the beeswax, the mind, wasn't soft enough yet. And so one of the very important um, issues in meditation practice is how do you get the mind soft enough 
so that it can do the work of getting concentrated. If you try to, uh, um, uh, you know, develop a laser-like concentration first, when the mind is hard, you might be able to, you might accomplish it to some degree, but uh, it's probably not going to be very useful. Or, and if you don't, you don't, don't accomplish it, and you keep pushing and pushing and pushing against it, something might give. And as I said, um, on long retreats, I've seen people whose minds have given, and uh, sometimes it's not very pretty because they're just kind of pushing, pushing beyond what the mind can do. So, um, so it's very important to have uh, a kind of a, a softness to soften. And there's a variety of things that a person needs to do to kind of, or could do, in order to create a certain softness or certain kind of acceptance or certain kind of ease, certain level of relaxation, a certain certain level of well-being that allows for the mind to then to get concentrated. And um, one of the classic practices is loving-kindness practice. Loving-kindness practice is also a concentration practice. So some people will use that as the means for getting concentrated. They'll do a lot of loving-kindness practice. Uh, but loving-kindness practice is also one of these thawing practices, softening practices. And it's uh, and a lot of people who will spend five or ten minutes at the beginning of every sitting doing loving-kindness practice so that they kind of create the right conditions for being able to do the, the, the other work. Um, each individual person is going to have to kind of sort out and find out for themselves what is the appropriate way to, or what's the right timing and way to develop, you know, to develop concentration or focus on concentration practice, and when is the right time to kind of do something else, to do forgiveness practice perhaps, or to do um, loving-kindness practice, or maybe to forget about meditation for a while. I've known people who've done this, and rather uh, very diligently, very um, uh, devotedly worked on their ethics, on their sila, it's called sila. And because it's very, it's hard to get deeply concentrated without some degree of, eth- uh, of ethical integrity. There's one teaching, I don't know how anybody knows this for sure, maybe, maybe there's ways of knowing for sure, but there's one teaching that says that uh, you cannot reach access concentration, which we talked about last week, um, unless your ethics is in good shape. So uh, for some people, it just that's what gets in the way of being able to go further. And so they have to kind of maybe stop meditating or maybe not stop, but go off and do, you know, and really focus on their ethical behavior and get that cleaned up. For some people, it's a lot of uh, self-forgiveness, a lot of compassion. For some people, it's just being relaxed, being at ease about what the meditation is about, not sitting down right away and thinking I'm supposed to be, you know, have this adamantine concentration just immediately. Um, my approach uh, often, which I never would admit to some of my teachers in Asia, uh, was um, I would sit down the first five, ten minutes of a sitting. I would be quite relaxed about it. I'd just kind of sit there and let my mind wander. And, you know, and he, my teacher, I know he expected as soon as you sat down, Boom. You're supposed to note right away and be on top of every single thing that happened. And, um, and I knew people who adopted his approach and they kind of broke because of it. They kind of, but I, I found it was very helpful just the first five, ten minutes of a sitting uh, with him. It was just, I was very relaxed and kind of just let my mind kind of float and settle. And I had no agendas for my mind. You know, I wasn't trying to do anything and, and I wasn't trying to do any particular kind of practice. It kind of be present. And what that did for me is it allowed me to settle and relax the particular kind of mind I have, that was really helpful to kind of settle out. And then after that five or ten minutes, then um, my mind was soft enough to do the work that the teacher wanted me to do. And it worked, it worked just great for me. Um, 
that way. Um, so, when you, when you sit down to meditate, do concentration practice or mindfulness practice, one of the first things you might want to do is to just kind of take stock of where you actually are. So we say often you start where you are. You just take stock where you are. And, um, and then what, what does it take for you to somehow um, become settled in who you are or not be in conflict with who, who you are at that moment or somehow have some sense of goodwill or some sense of um, um, well-being about just how you are right now. Um, and so, you know, there's a variety of things you might do. As I say, you might do some loving kindness practice or forgiveness practice, or you might just do a very broad acceptance practice. Um, everything's okay, you know. It's all cool, man. Just, everything's fine. And do that for a while. And uh, just to kind of get yourself settled and relaxed. Or you might um, use imagery, uh, especially if you're doing concentration practice. And, I, you know, there's a variety of images you can use. There's images, for example, of sitting like a mountain. And some people like it's a classic one. Just imagine yourself like a solid, like a mountain, and that stability can help people. Or imagine yourself like a um, like a cal- like a really calm, placid, peaceful uh, alpine lake. You know, some lake or water that's really peaceful. And somehow imagining the mind is like that, and maybe that's helpful to kind of settle things. Or maybe um, it's imagine yourself kind of enveloped in a soft cotton blanket, so you kind of you feel enveloped and kind of contained um, in um, in the monasteries I sat, sat in, I learned this in the Zen monasteries, uh, people would sit in sitting robes. And, um, and um, so the robes in Zen monasteries, you know, went you know, from shoulders to one set, goes from shoulders all the way down to your the legs. And when you sit down to meditate, uh, it's kind of like your, your whole body is kind of held or contained within this nice robe. And it's not divided, you know, with a belt, you know, you have two diff- different pieces of clothes. And that's feeling of being completely contained within the same garment, and so this uh, that's kind of creates a nice container. Uh, makes I think for many people a very nice environment within which for, to sit with the body, to feel the body, to be embodied, to be here. Um, so to even just imagine that kind of being held in some way. Um, some people like to do initially when they first start sitting to think about uh, things that inspire them. And there's, again, a classic Buddhist teaching at the beginning of a sitting to maybe think about the qualities of a Buddha or qualities of of teachers you know who really inspire you or qualities of the Dharma. If you have some sense of what the Dharma is or the possibilities of Dharma practice, to reflect on those possibilities. and and, um, Or reflect about people uh, who practice who have really good virtue, really good ethics. And kind of use that kind of reflection, uh, contemplation, as a way of kind of getting you settled in here, and um, rather than being fragmented or still thinking about conversations you had early in the day or you know whatever else you might be doing, all this is all, all this kind of preparation is kind of to help you kind of arrive and be here, and here in a soft way, not in a hard way, not forcing yourself, not fighting yourself to be here, but rather being he- to be here and not be in conflict with being here. So what does it take to do that? And uh, and in different sittings, different things will different things will it'll take different things. Um, now, sometimes what it takes is just mindfulness. 
you've got to discover what it is and just kind of do a lot of mindfulness. And mindfulness itself is a, can be a very accepting practice. So to soften the beeswax of the mind. That's the first kind of the first task. Some people can just go straight into doing a concentration practice on the breath. That is, that's what they do right away. And the way they do it, that itself softens the mind and develops a concentration. You don't have to do anything extra to do it. It just have, comes along with the practice. And some people find it best to do something else to get started. So um, I thought we would do a sitting now. And uh, perhaps um, would someone volunteer to recite the Metta Sutta as part of the sitting. Anybody like to do it today? Okay. So what, what, what I'd like you to do is I'd like to get everybody um, settled in, the eyes closed, and uh, and. That's great. That's fine. Yeah. So he'll do a different version than I passed out, and uh, use the mic. So why don't we get? I'll take a couple of minutes to get everyone settled. And then into the, into, uh, you can keep your eyes open and when I nod to you, then you can recite it. And everybody else, when you listen to this in your meditative space, uh, kind of take it in. You know how to chant it? Yes. You want to chant it? Sure. Okay, so he's going to chant it. So, um, so you t- take in both the, the, the chant and the feeling of it and the words and somehow take in the metta sutta. See if you can take it in in such a way that um, it inspires you, it settles you, it helps you to be here in a kind way, in a, in a friendly way. You're really here. You're, you're, it's kind of like bringing you in. It's pulling you in. It's anchoring you as it happens. So, sitting upright in an alert posture and quietly closing your eyes and taking a few moments to feel your body here This is the time and place where your lived experience is. What is your lived and your lived experience happens through the vehicle of your body, being in your body, feeling it. taking a few soft but long deep breaths and as you exhale relaxing and settling in breath return to normal, perhaps feeling the area around your chest, your heart, and as you breathe in and out, massage the area of your heart a little bit, soften, and then perhaps as if their ears in your chest, in your heart. Uh, Listen to 
the chanting of the Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, <clears throat> unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be. Whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world.
you breathe, as you exhale, you might imagine that you're sort of, with each exhale, you're smoothing out the mind, the thinking brain, relaxing it. As if there's waves on a lake. And with each breath, you smooth out the waves to make the mind broad, flat, peaceful. Relaxing the energy behind the things you're thinking about, the tension behind it. Connecting to your breathing. Feel your breath. And then see if you can begin to steady the awareness on the breathing. Stabilize the awareness on the breathing. So you're there to feel each breath in-breath, the out-breath. Letting everything else kind of recede to the background. And letting there be as continuous contact with the breath as you can. Since the breathing is an alternating phenomena, 
alternating sensations of breathing in and out, expanding and contracting. Maybe it'll help you to imagine that that alternation is like a massage that's working the attention, working the concentration, working the continuity. Very, very gentle, very relaxed. Keeping the mind at ease, peaceful, soft, but with a real commitment or firmness to stay with the breath one breath after the other.
perhaps there's a, some way that you can let go into the breath. There can be a letting go into the experience of breathing so it becomes more the only thing happening. You're sinking into it, disappearing in it, becoming the breathing. Is there some way you can give yourself over more to connecting to the breath, to staying with the breath? Maybe there's a certain kind of inner strength that you can muster up, that it's not tense, but a strength which keeps you more fully with the breath. Counting the breath, if that's helpful.
And then continuing with the breath in a relaxed way, notice when there happens, when a pleasant or unpleasant experience occurs for you. When something unpleasant or something pleasant happens, <coughs> notice if there's any grasping or pushing away. Is there any movement of reaction to the pleasant or unpleasantness, however subtle? Or is it just there, usually equanimous about its presence? In the stillness that you have, whatever calm that you have, can that help you to see quicker, more precisely, the difference between the pleasantness of something and your reaction to it, the unpleasantness of something and your reaction to it. in the last minute or so of the sitting, review what that sitting was like for you. 
in a very matter-of-fact way. How it was for you to sit and what you might learn about your sitting that maybe you want to remember for next time you sit. <laughs> 